And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and a blasphemous names on its head. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshiped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. The authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence, and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. Then I look, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the lamb wherever he goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and the lamb. And in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we are in your presence this morning because you've called us here. We are here because you've ordained it. We are here because uh, we love you and it's good to be here and declare back to you in the presence of our brothers and sisters how awesome you are as, as Tom led us in the call to worship. Um, it is good and it is right to declare your goodness and your rightness and your love and your mercy. And here you've given us your word. You've told us at the beginning of this letter that this is more than anything a pastoral letter to encourage us. And so Lord, as we come to a text like this that is so confusing at first glance for many of us, um, for all of us, and especially those of us who are um, just not 
not used to hearing things like this. Um, would you come in your deep love for us and in your mercy and in your power, and would you work in our minds and our hearts to help us understand what you want us to see and what you want us to understand and what you want us to believe and how you want us to live as a result of this. Lord, would you strengthen us today? Would you convict us of sin? Would you encourage us? And we ask all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so um, yeah, stay, stay with me here. Um, this, this can feel overwhelming. Don't, don't go with that. Just, just hang in here and uh, raise your hand if you're like, I'm totally lost and we're going we're gonna to get through this together. Um, I don't, there's so much imagery here and, and some of it, frankly, I, I don't know exactly what it means. It could mean several different things or it could mean all those things together. None of the things that it could mean, none of those places of confusion are opposed to one another. So we can get through this and know what God is saying to us. Uh, even if we don't know exactly what each of these things means. Um, and so I don't want to get lost in the weeds. There's so much here, and I want to keep it very um, just relevant to the life that we are living now. And so I'm going to do my best to not try to over-explain the vision and, and get us to a place where we can really see and understand and, and obey Jesus and what he's calling us to. So like I said before, um, we have this dragon, and he's working in the world, um, and these beasts are these sort of, it's these satanic-fueled human vessel uh, power structures in the world that are working against the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the obedience of God through Jesus, Jesus, God's love for us through his son. He's given himself for us so that we can belong to him and, and be his. And so uh, the enemy, remember, is working to uh, tear us apart and separate us from God. He's doing the same thing he's always been doing since we first saw him in Genesis chapter 3. And what we see in Genesis chapter 3 is him coming to the first humans and saying, did God actually say? Like sowing seeds of doubt in humanity who was made by God in God's image to follow him, to love him, to obey him, and, and to obey him because not only is it right, but it's good. It's good for us. God has made us in love. So he made us to obey him and, and the obedience to him is going to lead us to a life that is good for us. But Satan comes in because he wants to destroy. And so he sows seeds of doubt. You cannot trust God. You cannot trust his power. You cannot trust his character. You cannot trust his love. In fact, the best thing would be for you to go your own way and obey yourself. And you decide. You be the arbiter of truth. You decide who you want to be. And he, he says to Adam and Eve, um, you know, God says, hey, you, you've got to follow me. You've got to obey me. You've got to uh, allow me to be your God or else you're going to die because I am life. And when you, when you rebel against me, it brings death. And Satan literally says, you won't die. Don't listen to what he says. You won't die. In fact, you, not only will you not die, you'll be like God. Okay, so that's what he's been doing in the world from the very beginning. And we see it show up again, and, and uh, there's a reason I'm sort of giving us this background. In the beginning, uh, in Matthew chapter 4, or Luke chapter 4, these places in the gospel where we see he comes to Jesus at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and he tempts, <clears throat> excuse me, he tempts Jesus to go away from God and stop obeying God and to just basically have all the glory without the cross. And here's what he says to Jesus in, the, in this Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. It says, 
But the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. All the glory of all the kingdoms of the earth, all the power, all the wealth, everything that is, is tempting to a person. And he says, the devil says to Jesus, to you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And thank God, Jesus said no thanks and endured the cross for the true kingdom. But I just, I share that to say the, the enemy is, is so wise and so powerful, but he is, he is not creating, he's not creative. He's doing the same thing he's done since the beginning of time, and he is tempting people to go away from God and, and to be their own arbiters of truth and to be like God and to be gods themselves because he knows a, that this is enticing, but B, that this is destructive. This leads to destruction and death and chaos in the world and turmoil. So when we see him at the beginning of this passage, the end of the last chapter, it says he's so furious, making war on the people of God, he's standing on the shore of the sea. And it's almost like this scene of like Frankenstein's monster where he is summoning up from the sea this beast. It's a way in which he is manifesting himself and his will and his desire to destroy God's people and God's creation through this beast that is coming up out of the sea. And so we, we get here, um, okay, this, we have these two beasts in this passage. So the first one is this beast coming out of the sea, and that's what I'll call the, the power of the sword, or this is the way it's going to be. And, and how do we know that this is talking about some kind of political power or the power of the sword? Well, John is drawing from, this vision that is given to John is, is drawing from all this very direct imagery from Daniel chapter 7. And I'm just going to read a, a, little, a little bit of Daniel chapter 7. It says Daniel, uh, Daniel was an Old Testament prophet, so he lived hundreds and hundreds of years before this ever happened, and this vision was given to him a long time ago, written down in scripture for, for us, and certainly for John would have known and seen this. And this is what Daniel 7 says. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. So again, we're at the same location here. And, and you have to know that in the Old Testament, the sea was usually imagery for chaos, it's, it's the, just the turbulence and the darkness of the sea was this image of chaos. You know, when God spoke creation into existence, it said he was hovering over the face of the waters. So, th so these seas or these waters is, is this um, picture of chaos before God brings order. Or maybe it's now the chaos and the disorder when people begin to rebel against God and things begin to come undone. So in Daniel's vision, he says, I saw they were, the winds were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. And then as he describes these beasts, it's the same beasts we see here in, in uh, Revelation 13. The first beast was like a lion. It was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, was like a bear. And then I looked, and behold, another, it was like a leopard. And the, and the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. And then later he goes on to say, these four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. 
And so when we see this vision in Revelation 13, if you, if you haven't been with us, then I'm sorry, uh, because it's, it's going to get even more confusing. But we, we've talked about how these visions really symbolize um, this arc of what's happening, uh, because this is supposed to be encouraging, and it's this pastoral encouragement to God's people who are living in the time between Jesus' comings. So between the time that he was born, lived, crucified, died, and was resurrected and ascended to heaven to the time that he will come again is where we find ourselves now. And so John is speaking to all of God's people in this now, this period of time that is known in this passage as 42 months or three and a half years or time, times, and half a time. That is a way of saying this time between Jesus's comings. And so... um, this is like, the, uh, as, as we see this beast, it's drawing from all these, these different kings of the earth, and it's got seven heads and ten horns, and what do we make of this? Um, basically, John is, is given this vision of like, this is all of those political powers. This is all of those kingdoms. This is all those who had exercised the power of the sword over everyone on the face of the earth from between the time that Jesus was resurrected and the time that he will return. It's all earthly political power that sets itself up in opposition to Jesus. Does that make sense? Raise your hand if you're like, you gotta go back a little bit. Okay, we're good? Okay, so at the time of John's writing, um, this beast is the Roman Empire because Roman emperors were rising up and saying, I'm not just like God, I am God. And they were changing their names to God and there was temple worship and there were um, imperial temple cults where people would literally worship the emperor of Rome. And remember, that's why John is on this prison island. John is here because what everyone had to do was take a pinch of incense and throw it on the altar and say, Caesar is Lord. And John's like, yeah, I can't do that because Jesus is Lord. And they're like, okay, fine, you're either gonna be killed or you're gonna be sent to this uh, prison island to do hard labor for the rest of your life. And so that's, that's where we find ourselves. It's like, if, if you are a Stranger Things fan, um, it's like from season three where you learn about the, this monster called the Mind Flayer. And, and what the Mind Flayer does is it gets into people and it has all these agents that is working to do its evil deeds that it's coordinated, but it's all these individual people, but there's this force, this demonic force that is, is coordinating and orchestrating all of these agents working together to do its evil will. And we're like, that is another vision picture of what God is saying is happening in the world through Satan, is he is using these human entities and getting them to follow him and worship him instead of worshiping God and getting them to work together to do what? To war against God's people, to be as destructive as possible, to do the will of the dragon. And it says the main thing that this beast will do is blaspheme. Okay, so that word blaspheme is, is getting at the same thing, but it it's, can happen in one of two directions. Blaspheming can be setting yourself up as equal to God or higher than God. Remember when uh, Jesus was uh, on trial, they said he was blaspheming because he was making himself equal to God. But Jesus really was equal to God. So blaspheming can be I, I am God or I am, I am as powerful as God. 
But it can also be slandering God himself, like Satan did in the garden, and say, do you really believe him? Like, you think he's powerful enough to work in your life? You think he can protect you? You think he can give you the good life? So it's, it's, it's all these ways of setting up an alternative God and putting down the one true living God and his son, the lamb who was slain. Are we, we still together here? Okay, so what we read about is, um, it says also that he seemed to have a mortal wound. This beast, one of this beast's heads seemed to have a mortal wound. And, and what it's talking about there is um, probably, probably several different things. Like in, during this time, it was rumored that emperors who had died had actually come back to life. That's how great and powerful they were. And so people would pretend to be these emperors who had died and have people come and worship them and follow them. So certainly that's a very direct uh, way in which that is true and plays out. But I think broad brush, what this is saying is it appears like this machine that is setting itself up in opposition to God that has all this military power, all this authority, the ability to make so many people do what it wants. Um, Even when rulers come and go, this machine marches on. There will always be somebody to fill the gaps when, when a ruler falls who is, who is ruling in this way, who is ruling in the way of the world, in the way of the dragon, it seems like you can't defeat it. It's, it's like the mind flayer from Stranger Things. You, you cannot fight and destroy one of the agents because another one will rise up because you haven't killed the thing itself, which is this demonic power that comes from the dragon that is like, oh, I will always find people. I will always find people to bite when I offer them, hey, you can be like God. You can have all sorts of worldly power and worldly wealth and and sensual pleasure. You can have all of these things. I will always find people. Um, It's a little bit like that movie, I'm blanking on the name, but Denzel Washington, and it's this like supernatural thriller detective movie. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And it's like this demonic spirit is moving from person to person, and whoever it's inhabiting, <laughs> Nick's laughing because he knows, what's it called? But, but the, the, who, whoever, whoever the demon is, is inhabiting starts either whistling or singing Time is on My Side by the Rolling Stones. It is so creepy. And essentially what he's saying in this is, me, this spiritual force, you can kill or jail all the people that I'm inhabiting to do all this stuff through, but you will never end it because I'm always still here and I will always find people to be my agents in the world. And what he is doing with all of these agents and vessels throughout all of human history is blaspheming. And I want to go to this, this verse specifically and, and uh, see the way that it talks about this. Verse six in in chapter 13, it opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Here's what I think this means. Let's see if this is applicable to our life. That that what these voices are saying is um, God is not powerful. God is not real. God is not relevant to your life. And when it says uh, something that was confusing to me was that it was blaspheming his dwelling or those who dwell in heaven. It's like talking about those who have died and said, do you really believe this garbage about heaven? 
Do you really believe this garbage about this kingdom that's coming? Like this life is all there is. And the thing that you need to be most afraid of is dying in this life. And the thing that you need to get busy doing is try to gain as much power and as much control and as much longevity in this life as you can. Do you feel like you've heard voices that say things like that? Do you feel temptation to live like that? And say, man, like all this stuff that we talk about in here sounds good, but I'm living in the real world. Like this is all great, but like I'm trying to keep my job. I'm trying to climb the corporate ladder. I'm trying to get married. I'm trying to get these things that really matter to me. And it's, it's all of life. It's all of this is working against the things of God and the ways of God and the people of God. And then here in verses 8 through 11, we have this call for endurance and faith. And John's real clear. It's like, hey, these authorities, whether it be the Jews at the time of Jesus' death or the Roman Catholic Church for a period of history or the, the Roman emperors at this time or all the, the, way, the places in the world where uh, these authorities have the power to jail and kill those who follow Jesus. Some of you are going to die at the hands of these people, at the hands of this beast. Some of you are going to be imprisoned and some of you are going to die. Because everyone is going to worship this beast, everyone who is not written in the book of life of the lamb who was slain. See, the beast, it appears that he was slain and lives again, but he wasn't. Each of those individual people actually died. They, they're not coming back. Just new people filled in the gaps. They can't come back to life because the power that they are empowered with, the one who is empowering them, is death. He's an agent of death. He has no life in him. So they cannot come back to life. But we serve a God who is the lamb who was slain, the only one who really is life and has the power to come back to life. And that one, our King Jesus, is calling to us and saying, this is a call for endurance. This world is not your home. This world is a place where it will be painful. To follow me in this world will bring suffering to you in one form or another. And this is a call to endure and to believe that what I'm saying is actually true. That my father's house has many rooms and I've gone to prepare a place for you and you're going to be there with me forever. That there's a kingdom that's coming that is, is going to overshadow and overthrow the kingdom of this world and, and live on forever. That there's going to be no more place for the ruler of this world and those who have sworn allegiance to the dragon. That they will be overthrown forever and they will never see the light of day again. And Jesus is saying, you have to believe me. Because it will be scary. You will suffer. You will experience pain. But going back to Daniel 7, he says this. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. There is a kingdom that we cannot see now that is far exceeds the kingdom of this world and all that it offers, all the emptiness. It's, it's, like, it's like fleeting. It's like wind. That's why Satan is called the prince of the power of the air. 
is he, he roars loudly, he offers these great things, but really at the end of the day, it's all slavery to him. All of it is empty, it never satisfies. But here's a picture of real power. When John is writing this, you, you better believe that he has somebody in mind when he's writing this. Yes, the Lord Jesus ultimately, but also somebody that was very, very special to him. His older brother, James, who was also a disciple of Jesus, was the first of the disciples to be martyred. The first of the disciples to be killed by this first beast, by a government that is setting itself up in opposition to Jesus and to his people and his kingdom. And I want you to read about this. This is a picture of real power. It's not making somebody, making the world follow you against the force, uh, the threat of force. It's this. It says, as James was led to his execution, his extraordinary courage impressed one of his captors to such a degree that one of his captors, this person, fell on his knees, <laughs> asked James to forgive him, and confessed that he was now a Christian too, and that James should not die alone. And so both were beheaded. And, and I commend to you, if you have not read this, um, Fox's Book of Martyrs. I was reading in there this week, and I wish I had time to share so many of the stories I read in there. But this is happening throughout history. And I heard a, a, a stat the other day that said, in the last hundred years, there have been more Christian martyrs than there have been in all of the time of Jesus until leading up to the last hundred years. But that's real power. He's, Jesus is asking us to follow him into suffering and death. Why? For the sake of those who are not yet his, who will be his. You know, Herod, who was putting James to death, thought he had real power because he had so many people who were terrified of him. But now we fast forward to ultimate things, and um, he is dead. And all of his power is gone. And all of his joy and wealth and, and things that brought him joy in this life are useless to him now. But James and this man who died with him are in the eternal kingdom that we're ne will never end, and they are with Jesus forever. This is real power. James was used by God to bring this man, his captor, from death to life. And so an application for us as we think about having this kind of power whether it's in government or in corporations or wherever we find ourselves, is we're not to run away from those positions. In fact, if we can, we should hold those positions and work for good and work for the kingdom of God in those places. But hear this. This is where it goes south for a lot of us. You being in that position of power is never at any cost. The ends never justify the means. Because one thing that's really clear from Revelation is Jesus doesn't need you in that position. Jesus doesn't need a Christian in that position. Jesus doesn't need anything. He just needs us to follow him and obey him. And so if you find yourself in a position of power, certainly the enemy is going to make you uh, do some mental gymnastics to think, well, I'm just going to do anything I can to stay in power, and I'm going to justify it by saying that at least now I'm here in this position. And what I'm saying to you this morning, what Jesus is saying to you through this passage is, no. No, that's the way of the dragon. The way of the lamb is the only way for us. And if the way of the lamb gets you fired, or the way of the lamb causes you to lose power, you're going to be okay, and God's kingdom is going to be okay.
believe it or not. And we should also hold our affiliations very loosely. Every affiliation that is not to the kingdom of God, we should hold very loosely. Okay, so now moving on, starting in verse 12 here, we see the second beast, the beast from the earth. Uh, this is the power of what I'll call, you know, is this religious ideological power, the power of dragon indoctrination. Uh, the first beast was this is the way it's gonna be because I have the sword. This is the way it should be because this is what's right. This is what's true. And so we, we see this beast, it sounds like the lamb, but it's not. It's different. It's earthly. It's demonic. It's dragon-like. In chapter 16, if you skip ahead, this beast is referred to as the false prophet. And it's, it's intentionally described uh, the way that the two witnesses from chapter 11 are described. But instead of pointing to Jesus... Uh, this beast is pointing to the first beast and to the dragon and saying, yeah, that's the way it is and that's the way it should be. It's any, idea, any, any ideology that gives power or reinforcement to any human social structure that's organized apart from God. So that's all false religions, that's all atheistic philosophies, and that's all uh, those who claim to the name of Jesus who operate in the way of the dragon. It is all of these things. And it says it causes those who, have, uh, who, who follow what it's saying to have the mark of the beast and of the dragon. That mark of the beast, um, we've, we've read in chapters past about the, the mark of the lamb and the, the one on the throne being on the forehead and on the hand. All it's saying here is, is, is it's influencing your thinking like the dragon and your right hand, your living like the dragon. So it causes all of those who follow the way of the beast and the way of the dragon to think and live like a dragon. Um, I'm exalting myself as God. No one can tell me what to do. And um, God is irrelevant. God is either not real or he's just nice and he can't help me really get what I want and what I need. And it says that there's going to be a time where it makes it difficult to buy or sell without having this mark. Um, basically, it, it's... Throughout history, there have been times where that's literally been true, like you cannot live, like when John was sentenced to death at this prison island because he would not worship Caesar as Lord. So there are times in history where that's literally been true, and there are also times in history where it's just been very, very difficult to live in a society where uh, this type of power is being displayed. So he's saying like it's going to be very hard or impossible to buy and sell or to live when you don't have the mark of the beast and you're not living the way that everyone around you is living. And then I just want to say this briefly about the number 666. I mean, that's something that everybody's heard and seen everywhere, um, horror movies and, and whatnot, um, really cool punk and heavy metal bands. Um, there's this thing called the gematria, uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but it's this way, it's this code where letters are assigned numbers, and it was just a thing in the Roman world back then, and like I read one historian said that you would see like graffiti where it says, I love her whose number is 545, and it was like, you know, the way you see painted on a bridge, like Billy loves, you know, Cassidy or whatever, um, <laughs> I don't know why I picked those names. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's Amber. Amber's a good one. Um, so, sorry if Amber's out here. Um, 
but this is just like a, a thing that was a thing. It was just like you, you would like, that was a, a code, a way of saying someone's name, referencing someone's name. And so what this is just saying in broad brush is 666 is the number for man. It's the number of these beasts and the dragon and all people that oppose God and do things the dragon's way and are earthly and not heavenly. Um, and it's three sixes because seven is the number of perfection and six is the number of man because man is close but not God. And it's perfectly imperfect. It's completely and forever imperfect apart from God is, is what that number means. And Jesus calls, and this is, here we go. Um, Jesus calls all of these sort of false prophets wolves in sheep's clothing. Uh, it's anyone who encourages compromise with the culture's idolatrous institutions, uh, puppets for the enemy. And so uh, I'm gonna share a couple of examples from our time and our country that we live in that I think um, are applicable. Uh, one is what I'll call the church of the right. That's where the American flag and a version of America and Jesus and the Bible are all interchangeable. That's what I call the country music religion, where we're the big man upstairs and I get drunk and make out in the field and go to church on Sunday and all of that good stuff. Um, that's blasphemy. <laughs> that's self-exalting. It's me and my tribe are right, and we will vanquish the enemy who's not the dragon, it's people who are not like us. It's God slandering because we're saying he's weak, that's why we need a man in office who is strong, and he's not gonna take any crap from anybody. Because we, Jesus is great, but he's little and puny and weak, and he don't work out, and he don't have a gun. We need somebody with those things, because that's how we're gonna get power. And essentially what it's saying is, come on, you don't buy this supernatural stuff, do you? Like, we got to live in this world. Okay. There's also the church on the left. The church of the left, not the church, like, on the left when you leave here. Um, that's a great church, I don't know. Um, and this is tolerance of all ideas in all ways except the way of Jesus. It's not just loving and caring for LGBTQ persons the way that Jesus does, the way that we're all called to, but it's throwing off all sexual ethics and all, most ethics altogether that we don't feel like following, that come from our creator, but we say, nope. And it's blasphemy because it's self-exalting. Again, me and my tribe over here are right. And we're going to vanquish the enemy who is not the dragon, who's not the dragon in me, but it's the people over there who are different from us. No one will tell me otherwise. And God is largely irrelevant to modern life. And they also say, come on, you don't buy the supernatural stuff, do you? You just see how it just slips and slides in. And so just as Jesus has given us a call for endurance and for faith, here he gives us a call in verse 18 for wisdom. Don't be fooled by these voices that look like the lamb, but they speak like the dragon. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, Paul says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive 
to obey Christ. We are swimming in waters constantly that are the way of the dragon and the way of the beast. And if we don't stop and help one another take every thought captive, we will be swept in and we will begin to live the way of the dragon because it's all around us. And so I want to just give one specific application of this. You know, we've been going through Explore Midtown. We have people that are going to be joining the church soon. And there's five membership vows that you take. The fifth membership vow is to say that you will submit to the government and discipline of this church and that you will treasure this church, essentially. And what I always try to tell people is when you submit to the government and discipline of this church, you are submitting to the government and discipline of Jesus Christ through his word as exercised through his people that he calls into these positions of elder or authority in this denomination, in this specific body. But you are not submitting to anything that any of us feels like saying or teaching or doing. And what you are saying when you take those membership vows is that when, if and when you hear anything from up here or from any of the leaders of this congregation that is in opposition to the way of the Lamb, is in opposition to the Word of God, that is your responsibility to get up and say something about it. Because you can have right theology and still be following the way of the dragon. It happens all the time. And, and I'm here to tell you that I am weak, and I am susceptible to the way of the dragon. And Nick is weak, weaker than I am. No. <laughs> He's not. He's stronger than I am, probably. Evan, Andrew, your elders of this church, the elders of Midtown, um, everyone. <laughs> It, it is just insidious, and it's everywhere. And that's why the call is to always repent, and, and repent because the kingdom of heaven is here. And so that is the call on us as, as we follow Jesus. And this is the good news at the end of this passage, the beginning of verse, or chapter 14. Behold, after all of this, look, here is the Lamb coming from Mount Zion with all of his people, 144,000, that just means the entirety of the people of God are all accounted for. They're all with their Lord and Savior. They've been redeemed from the earth and they're singing a song that only those who belong to God can sing. They don't follow the way of the dragon, the way of gratifying their sexual pleasures, the way of deceiving to stay in power. They follow the lamb wherever he goes and that is to love and to suffering and to death and to resurrection and into glory. So what we're going to do now is just for uh, a couple minutes, uh, we're going to spend some time in silent reflection and we're going to ask the Lord to make us wise to the ways of the dragon to convict us of sin where we are joining in self-exalting and living like God is irrelevant and that I have to be the one to have power or I'd have to follow somebody who has power to be okay and just ask him what he wants to show us in this time. And then uh, we're going to get called back together through a, uh, a reading uh, or a poem that's going to play over the speaker. So I don't want you to get freaked out when you hear that.